last 20 years have seen an explosion of cool tech, shiny digital apps, and progressive business models, but not all have migrated successfully to traditional banking. Have we lingered too long in the glittering halls of cutting edge? Have we forgotten the real goals of reliable, trustworthy, and functional banking? Is it time to find the real magic in building a bank that works? Welcome to Functional Banking Magic, a podcast that aims to tell the stories of the magic in a bank that works. Welcome to the next episode of Functional Banking Magic. As always, I am Liz Lumley, Deputy Editor of The Banker. And as you know, for 2023, Functional Banking Magic is looking exclusively at banks and their relationship and partners partnerships with tech companies and fintech companies. So today is no exception to that rule. We are looking at the relationship between Shawbrook Bank and Pega Systems and how you can harness low code to improve the customer experience. So I have two wonderful gentlemen here with me on the podcast. I have Steve Morgan, Banking Industry Market Lead at Pegasystems, and Russ Thornton, Chief Technology Officer at Shawbrook. Hello, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Good. I was really intrigued with this because I've been um, kind of watching the whole low code, no code movement over over the past uh, few years, and I was really really interested to, to find out more about um, how that works and then and the partnership but between the both of you. But why don't we start off with the first question. Um, Russ, why don't you tell us a little bit about Shawbrook uh, and its overall strategy? Sounds good. So um, Shawbrook was born out of the last financial crisis when, when actually the, a whole segment of customers really became underserved by mainstream financial services. So customers who maybe were a bit too complicated, you know, limited company um, owners, uh, day rate contractors, professional buy-to-let landlords, <clears throat> people who needed access to financing that maybe didn't have you know, three pay slips and, and full-time employment. So the bank brought together five other institutions under the Shawbrook brand, and the bank grew, you know, 20, 25% year on year. You know, it's a really big segment, and we're, we've continued with that ethos to, to serve the underserved. We've got about 16 different market verticals that we're in, um, a lot of them really quite complex, and we've we've generated a whole bunch of really deep expertise with the, uh, with the employees inside of Shopbrook over that time. And about four years ago, we decided to do a, a different pivot. So we decided to do a, a layer on a digital transformation, not to get rid of the humans, but actually to do a best of both worlds approach. So leveraging that deep human expertise, but supplementing it with leading class sort of tech and, and, and data. So best of both worlds, best of digital with that with a human touch. And, and to that end, you know, we started you know, rolling out a new tech strategy that I put in place which quite simply is to own the customer experience with our own software, and then we'll partner with Best in Class for, for everything else. So, you know, we, we write our own websites for our customers and our brokers. We write our own APIs, our own microservices, and, and all that's been great to, for those sort of customer and, and, and broker journeys. But that's only sort of one half of the equation. It's what about, what about the colleagues? You know, mm-hmm. what about those processes that they have to work in day in and day out? And how do we sort of revolutionize how we do underwriting a- as a bank? And, and to that end, you know, there is an obvious sort of capability gap in that we needed a, a business process management engine, something that could help us, you know, model processes, prototype them, rapidly deploy them into production to where we can make those underwriters and those credit analysts super, super efficient to just do the high value tasks and just really automate everything else. 
um, and then hence the uh, the relationship with uh, Pega started. You know, we uh, we looked for uh, BPM solutions, preferably with uh, with low code technology. Um, after a pretty rigorous RFP, we uh, selected Pega a, a few years ago, and the rest, so they say, is uh, is history. Mm. So I'm going to stay with you, and I'll, I'll get to you in a moment because I'm I'm really interested. Um, you know, you mentioned you're in the middle of digital transformation. I don't know that there's any bank out there right now not in the middle of their own digital transformation journey. Like, why specifically did you, I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, you know, harnessing that technology and really, you know, having hands-on with the tools uh, to, co- to connect with customers. You know, what, what attracted, what, what, from the bank, what, 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 about, what is it about low-code, no-code that you were specifically looking for? What benefits does it bring? In, in short, it's about pace and consistency and quality for those colleague journeys and for that internal process automation. You know, writing our own websites in React and .NET is really good when we're trying to touch, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of customers and very specific sort of branding and look and feel type of, of work. But but if what we're really looking at is how do we think about business processes differently? How do we model them? And how does that model actually become the code that executes the actual the, the processes over time? That's where the low code element is so important so that we can, with our partners, sit with the business to map out a process, look at the understanding of the data that's needed to fulfill that process, and all of a sudden that visual model is just the thing that gets executed, and that's where low code is really, really important, because as you're prototyping, you're actually building the solution. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, Steve, I'll, I'll go to you. and uh, I know that the, the word that is used over the past few years between a bank and a tech company is a partnership. You know, um, it's, it's not a, a vendor relationship. You know, how, how did this partnership come about like what is it what what is it like working with a bank like Shopper? Well, I think you only really get to a partnership when you know you've both got a shared outcome in mind uh, in terms of the customer outcome and the employee outcome like Russ mentioned and also that means you've got to have a deep understanding of the different skills that different parties can bring to the relationship so we always look for a partnership to be something where there's a good balance for the projects of client staff so like Russ's team some pega resource to help and then a partner in this case it was lab consulting right who you brought everything together and I think you get a partnership where Focus on those end goals, and then you've got the right mix of skills to bring bring to play together. Yeah, and there, there's also intent that's behind it. You know, the, the 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 folks at Pega and at Lab are actually really interested in what we're trying to achieve. You know, bring their expertise in, in terms of how they've solved similar problems and other customers, and try to be a part of the creative team. So it's not just we hand over a, a problem and lob it over the wall to them, and they come back with an answer. They're, we're all part of the the same team, regardless of what sort of badge we have on our on our name card. Mm. I'm just looking at my next question, and I realize I made uh, a, a mistake in the in the way I speak and saying low code, no code, as if they're they're the same thing. So I mean, I'm really I'm really interested to know like what is what is the difference between yeah, with no code and low code, Steve. So look, effectively low code, Russ sort of touched on most of it, but it, it basically is a visual representation of being able to work on something where the coding is almost done for you and it avoids the need to use code. So you get a lot of you know development savings, agility, reuse from that. And like we were talking about with the team, being able to work closely together, people from technology, people from the business working together. Now, no code is thrown around, I think, sometimes too much because... Um, I think realistically, there's some simple to some medium complexity processes. You can do a no-code, develop an app and something without using any code. But once you get into sort of medium or high complexity, of which lending would be an area like that, there's usually some you know, code you have to do in some interface development and such like. Mm-hmm. How was how was the learning curve for the you know people inside the bank using this? Was this 
something they embraced? Yes, I think I think to begin with, they thought this is going to be a little bit too good to be true. Um, but actually, once they started working in sort of workshops and in collaborative sessions, the penny dropped pretty quickly. Um, and then what's it happened is sort of spawned off a whole number of other ideas and work streams where we um, could use PEGA and are continuing to to use PEGA in terms of the uh, the rest of our digital strategy. So, uh, and I think also it helped that we had started to write our own software. So the bank kind of knew what an API was and how we connect to third-party data providers for, you know, for data about um, EPC ratings or valuation models, et cetera. And, and by seeing PEGA's ability to not just, you know, create that interface for the, the, for, for the underwriter, for the credit risk person, but that we can still call the same APIs that we've written already. Uh, again, it sort of a, had, a, um, had sort of a combined effect of the penny dropping of what the potential is and, and how we actually might sort of prioritize its usage. And that's, that's something, Liz, in terms of that low code and reuse that we pride ourselves on being able to do in terms of for different products, different situations, different policies. If you've, if you've set something up in the system once, then you can reuse it in other places. And then when that comes to change and the, the running costs and the total cost of ownership for someone like Shawbrook, it's easy. You can change something once and those changes will flow through wherever that element has been reused. Mm -hmm. it, it's an amazing journey. I remember, you know, not that long ago, I'm not sure many people at banks would know what an API was at all. Yeah. So that this has been a long journey. Um, I, I, I noticed there was there was a stage one of the project. Can you, can you talk us through a little bit about what that stage one was? Yep, sure. So we um, we decided to focus on on a particular area of our unsecured personal loans business. So if you go to ClearScore or Money Supermarket, any of the 40 aggregators and look for an unsecured loan, chances are ShopRook is going to be up on that. And when the loan comes into our system, um, quite a, a number of the back-end sort of completions process was really manual. Um, and we had to either throw more staff to sort of work through the actual completions and payout process. And we were sort of having business drop off, which is not a good thing, not a good thing for us, not a good thing for, for the customer. So we looked at that sort of back end of the on, uh, uh, completions process and said, I know this is how we're doing it now, but how do we really want to do that? And we used that really specific use case to draw out a, you know, how does the tool work? You know, B, how do our operators, you know, engage with it? What are sort of the metrics that we've got out of it in terms of improvement? And that was kind of the penny dropping moment where, you know, that back end process we cut by 75% time wise, you know, about 1500 hours a month of humans time that we've we've sort of freed up, which is which is quite a lot, considering we're only, you know, 1200 people as as a bank. So that was phase one. Um, and then for the rest of the sort of the underwriting process for unsecured loans, now we're doing the front end of it. So come, I think, probably the end of H2, for unsecured personal loans, all the underwriting process and completions will be solely inside of, of PEGA. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, how, how quickly was that achieved, that 75% drop? I think maybe about three months. I mean, it's 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 pretty pretty quick, and and some of that time was sort of setting up the infrastructure, making sure you know um, Pega's cloud service, which they host our Pega instance in their cloud, you know, connects to our cloud. Um, but it was really pretty quick, I think. Um, and that, that again, I think took people pleasantly by uh, by by surprise. And you you asked Liz in connecting back to your loco question earlier in terms of the speed of doing things. So that three month sort of implementation timeline is quite typical, whereas in the past, I think you'd been looking at twelve months maybe. So things are much quick, much quicker to be able to get things up and running with the modern environments. Interesting. Um, so I was intrigued by the Pega Express methodology. Could you give us an insight in that? So it's effectively a pretty light, design-led, agile-based methodology. It's got four stages, discover, prepare, build, and adopt. 
So it's quite simple and it's something that we use to integrate with a client's way of implementing. So they'll often have their own internal methods, ways of working. And then the partner as well usually brings something. But it focuses on outcomes and tries to get to a, what we call a minimum lovable product rather than viable product. So something that will have a real outcome, like in this example, you know, saving a lot of time and effort in the personal loan space. And, you know, it's something where it takes that customer journey and puts it at the center with the outcome for them as well as the staff in terms of how, how you, what you're going to get to. Creating a lovable product in banking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have goals. <laughs> so what, um, what's next? What's the next phase? Um, we've got, um, in addition to that front end of the unsecured loan process that's in track, we we actually have two other sort of major initiatives going on. One is what we call our next generation underwriting which is looking at the you know, buy-to-let property underwriting process. Um, and we you know, were very successful in doing it in the past, but we kept doing it the same way because we've always done it that way. Um, so we took a step right back, looked at everything from our underwriting policy, looked at sort of the different steps inside of underwriting. How can we sort of re-sequence things to make it, you know, faster, more effective? Um, and uh, we're now at the point where we're in build. Um, we will hopefully go live with the um, sort of the first phase of that for buy-to-let properties that, you know, can use automated valuation models um, in April. Um, and we expect sort of 30% of all of our business to go through that process. And again, should be able to drop flight times, which is what we call from indicative mortgage offer to full mortgage offer, you know, from 30 days to 15 days on average. Um, and it, we expect we'll get a number of them that will go in one or two days because every single step of the, of the process is automated, except for that final review where the underwriter just looks at the things they should look at versus, you know, sort of double checking every single data point that that's inside of it. So that's, that's hugely exciting for, for us, um, but also for our customers because they come to Shawbrook for certainty of, you know, are they going to get the loan or not? Are they going to get the loan that they want or not? And how quickly can they get access to, to the funds? And we're ticking all three boxes with those on the, on the, on the property side. And then on the flip side, <clears throat> um, for our savings business, so um, we don't have branches, we don't do current accounts, um, we have a digital savings offering. Um, we're rewriting that entire front end and also rewriting the colleague experience, uh, experience for the contact center staff for payment operations. And again, that should go live in, in H2. And PEGA will be doing all of that sort of customer service and, and, and payment sort of workflow automation. So it's basically touching everything that goes inside of the, uh, the operations world at the bank. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are your rates for the savings for the... Oh, that, they change very quickly. I'd have to go online to, to see. Everyone's talking about interest rates right at the moment. You have to come in. Yeah, we're, we've been featured on Martin Lewis a few times on, on that, yeah. Okay, interesting. Wonderful. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on Functional Banking Magic. And uh, I wish you luck on the next stage, next phase of the project. Thank you for listening to Functional Banking Magic, which runs monthly out of The Banker. You can listen to this podcast on thebanker.com Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you'd like to be a guest on Functional Banking Magic, you can contact Liz Lumley at elizabeth.lumley at ft.com.